Have you been struggling to make solid cinematic films? Do you watch other filmmakers and wonder why their products look so good? You need training. Good, specialized training. Something that is easy to digest and that you can take safely at home. I'm not talking about college. I'm talking about full-time filmmaker. Marco Wahlbeck and his team have put together an amazing course with over 400 training videos. Everything from Wedding Video Pro with Jake Weisler to how to edit with Premiere or Final Cut. Imagine getting proper, real-world training you can do at home. Imagine the impact that would have on your work, your skills increase, your quality increases, and then so do your prices. Click on our affiliate link below, take the free online training on their top 10 secrets to achieving cinematic shots, and see what full-time filmmaker can do for you. We did it. And it propelled our business. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Wedding Videography for Beginners. I am your host, Phil Beabout, and today we are talking about integrating yourself into your wedding films and creating films that move people with David Reynosa. I am so excited to have David on the podcast. Uh, you know, if you've been listening to us and you've been following us for a little while, you hear us talk about Craft 5K or The Profitable Filmmaker or, you know, his native LUTs. Like, David has really influenced, you know, myself and Brittany and really kind of shaped our wedding biz- biz- business and brought it to what it is today. And it's fitting that he is technically our first guest. So I'm I'm super excited. Um, I... We just wrapped up a couple of minutes ago talking to David and we talked, it felt like for two hours, to be honest with you, like we talked for a long time about all kinds of different, you know, ways to really put your brand first and put your brand into your films and lay out kind of a framework to start to separate you from other, you know, wedding videographers. And he goes through his process for like selecting music or, you know, what he does for color grading and the podcast and the video is just full of unbelievably just great information. So I'm really excited to get this started. All right, let's go. Well, David, so thank you so much for being on Wedding Videography for Beginners. Uh, we are really excited to have you. We're, we're unbelievably excited that you are our first guest. It's, it's really fitting uh, in that, you know, we have literally taken all of your courses. We use your, your LUT packs. Like we've, we've really modeled our business after your core business model. So am, we're, we're really so honored. <laughs> thank you so much. That's yeah. Amazing. We're, we're really, we're really humbled that, that, that you, uh, that you are the first guest. So, uh, I guess let's kind of start from the beginning. What made forestry? Ooh, that's, we're, we're just rolling with the punches, a big question right out the gate, but let's see what made forestry. Um, I'm guessing maybe you're kind of going after a little bit of my origin story, but I, yes. So (laughs) I started video in junior high actually. And a lot of people know this, if you've listened to me at venture or other podcasts, but I used to be uh, a magician. That was, I was a kid that would get into 
anything and everything, but it was always the unique and weird things. So magic was something that I just thought was always cool. So I'd be that kid that would go to the library and would check out all the magic books and would try to learn all the tricks and perform them on my parents. I'd watch a bunch of YouTube videos all night and I'd just lock myself in my room for like three or four hours learning magic tricks. And I got so good that I decided, hey, I want to start performing. So I would go out to my local neighborhood and people would just be hanging out, you know, on benches outside of coffee shops or at the park. And I would walk up to them and say, hey, you want to see a magic trick? And I started performing for people. And I was like, I need some way to document all this magic <laughs> that I'm doing. And so my parents got me a camera. They got me Final Cut. But this is not like download Final Cut in the cloud. This is like go to Best Buy and get a three feet by three feet box filled with Final Cut Studio. It was on discs that I had to load into my computer. And I think it was like 150 gigabytes. It was nuts. And so I thought, hey, I'm going to be I'm going to be uh, a famous magician. I want to film all my, all my performances. I'm going to go viral on YouTube. Please don't look them up because they're really embarrassing. I had braces at the time and my hair, I think, was spiked. I was in junior high and my mom was accompanying me to these magic performances. And it was just all kinds of embarrassing. But that's kind of how I started is doing magic. And surprisingly... The magic thing, well, maybe not so surprisingly, but as it turns out, the magic thing didn't really work out. And I realized, oh my goodness, I love how magic allows me to inspire like awe in people by just walking up to them. But then what I really fell in love with was the filmmaking side of it, because it's really the vehicle that I was able to show these performances to other people on YouTube and inspire awe that way. And I thought, man, in, in kind of a cheesy way, filmmaking is almost the real magic and it has so many more possibilities of storytelling and things like that that I just started doing filmmaking and joined a, like a, a film class in high school and then started doing it in college. I used, I kind of started entering a lot of like kind of Super Bowl type like uh, comedic commercials that you see on the Super Bowl, that's what I wanted to do mm -hmm. filmmaking wise. And in college, I entered a lot of competitions where a company like Pringles or like Sprite or I don't know if Sprite's still a company, but 7up or Budweiser, or whatever it is, they will reach out to a bunch of students and say, hey, we have 5000 or $10,000. We want all of you students to make a commercial out of a prompt that we give you and we'll pick the winning one and the winning one gets the prize pool. And so that's what I did in college is I actually, um, with a buddy of mine, we wrote all night just comedic spots and we entered in all these competitions and I hired actors and directed and I wanted to be like a comedic TV commercial director. And I actually ended up winning a few of these commercials and I was like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. This is what I'm going to do. And actually started a whole production company for comedic TV spots. But it ended up being way harder than I thought to kind of break into that industry. I was only 
like tw 19 at the time or 20, I think, when I started doing this and didn't really know anything about business or how to approach people, how to cold call, and it kind of just fizzled out. But while I was doing that, I was like, I need money to pay for college. I need money, period, because my parents are going to be around forever. And so my buddy yeah, bills. had a wedding filmmaking. <laughs> yeah, I need to eat. Uh, my buddy had a wedding <laughs> filmmaking company and he's like, hey, uh, I need someone to lead shoot my weddings. Would you be willing to do it? And I was like, sure. <laughs> and so uh, these weddings that I led shot, lead shot, uh, they were all in slow motion. There was no audio. I would just show up to the day. I had no idea who the couple was. And I was really socially awkward at the time. And it was just, it was a really weird time in my life in college. But I fell in love with wedding filmmaking through that. And I was like, hey, I'm doing all of this wedding filmmaking stuff for my friend. How about I start my own company and start doing it for me and see if I can get some clients. And uh, the... I was, yeah, like 19 or 20 at the time and had very, very, very bad taste in everything. And uh, the name of my company that I thought was just absolutely brilliant because I was like, huh, what would brides be into? They're into romance and like hearts. And so I named my company Love Shop Productions. No, Love Boat Productions. And I was like, that's too cheesy. We're going to go Love Shot Productions. Love Shot. It, it, was, it was horrible. And uh, the, our, my website was covered with burlap and uh, like actual burlap background with uh, like cheesy music playing. And it, it, it was just the worst. But that's kind of like where I got started. Just, you know, shooting for my friend. I used all that money to buy gear. And then I second shot until I had enough money to kind of transition away from him and start doing my own thing and charging my own rates. And after a while, I had enough bookings through Love Shot <laughs> that I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just do that full time. So that's a little bit about the, the origin story of uh, Forestry. It didn't start as Forestry, it started as Love Shot Productions. A part of me thinks that you should bring Love Shot back as just a little side gig. See how see how well you can yeah, do with that. I it, guarantee it, you, there's, it, a, there's a niche market for that. Guarantee it. It, it could be like our sister <laughs> brand, you know, uh, for yeah. the the discerning couples, the couples who don't want you know the traditional wedding film. We could shoot on all Super Eight, and then every, and then Michael Bublé could be the soundtrack of every film. I think there you go. Every every that. video has the same exact yeah. same music. <laughs> and Jason Mraz <laughs> both would just kind of tag team. So I, I want to talk just for just two seconds on uh, camera equipment. Mm -hmm. And I just what what are you shooting on right now? So right now, uh Literally, what I'm shooting on <laughs> to record this and what I use for all my <laughs> weddings is the Panasonic GH5. So I have the GH5, I have three, and then I have a GH5S that I'll just bring out during receptions because the GH5 in low light, low light is garbage. It's trash. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I'll 
crank out the GH5S and that's what I'm shooting on. I also have a Canon 6D, which I'll use for pictures, and then uh, a Ronin S, which I'll do for gimbal stuff, but most of the day, all handheld on the GH5, and I'll just use tripods for like the ceremony, but almost the whole day is handheld. And yeah, so th- that was kind of a loaded question. And the the reason is because so many people get really hung up around purchasing, you know, all new equipment yeah. every year and just doing all this crazy stuff with, I mean, I'm just as guilty of it. You know, I, I bought Me two too. S5s for, for no apparent reason. And <laughs> they're beautiful. But no, I love it. That's what I'm on right now. But uh what I really want to stress to people that are just starting out and what the what the real focus of this podcast is on is storytelling and integrating yourself into that story. And why that's important is because David is shooting on a GH5, which is not to downplay the GH5 at all. I have I, I had two. I still have one. And you can get them used for like 800 bucks. 800 bucks. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. I've even seen them for and, 500 sometimes. It's crazy. Yeah, well... If you if you know forestry, you know the quality of David's work. And that's what I'm trying to get at. You can make spectacular films with more than likely the equipment that you already have. And I think the key piece to that is the story that you're weaving with the camera. It's not necessarily the camera itself. And that's really why I wanted to go into like how you can integrate yourself into the story and then how you can make like emotionally driven films. Mm. And I think that you, you're the perfect person to talk about this. So I'm being serious. Like that's, it's, I appreciate it. I'm being dead serious. Uh, So let's go into how folks can really begin to work their brand and who they are into their films. And I guess, where would you recommend that someone would start? Yeah. Um, So I would encourage you first at the start to shoot as many type of weddings as you can that you think you might be interested in. Don't shoot weddings that have no interest to you. Uh, So if you're like, I'm not sure if I like fine art or I'm not sure if I like adventurous elopements or I'm not sure if maybe maybe I like golf course weddings or ritzy hotel weddings. All are, you, you can make a brand out of, any of those, but I would encourage you if you're not sure, but you could kind of see yourself doing any of those, um, try to shoot every style and then kind of self-reflect back after you shot it and edited that wedding. Like, what did I like about that wedding? What did I hate about that wedding? And be honest, like, I think when I was starting out, I didn't, I wanted to be a jack of all trades that I almost fell, found a silver lining in absolutely everything. And I would go to a wedding and be like, well, you know, it was, it was kind of good. And I like this part, but I, I don't know, like I can never say anything bad about it. And then it, it just made it so that I didn't never really niche down. So shoot a bunch of different styles and then kind of be adamant about what you don't like. And then as, as you start to do that, you're going to start to develop your own style based on what you love. And you're going to start to push aside things that you don't like. Um, But I'd say even more than that, like in terms of infusing who you are into your wedding films, I think so many filmmakers get caught up on 
the filmmaking side of it. Like we make wedding films and we get so caught up in the style of wedding filmmaking rather than what the event actually is. Like we're filming a marriage. And so what I would encourage every beginner to do starting out is what is your view on marriage? What is marriage about? Because as you start to come to a grasp of that, that's going to influence your style. Because I mean, just like any filmmaker who's going to make a feature length doc or feature length movie, they want to know everything about their subject matter. And it baffles me how many wedding filmmakers are wedding filmmakers. But when I ask them about like, hey, what is your view on marriage? Or are you passionate about marriage? They either have nothing to say or they're just like, oh, I just like filming weddings because I'm able to be creative and do really awesome shots. Like what good film, what Oscar winning film starts with the director just saying, I'm going to make a film with the best shots possible. None. So like, I would really encourage you in terms of infusing yourself, figure out what your view on marriage is. What does it mean to you? Is marriage all about, um, and specifically the wedding, all about having as much fun as possible and really bringing together family and having a massive party to just sh share the love of fun that you have. And, and you think that's, you know, uh, marriage's purpose is, is for joy and happiness and to spread that to, you know, future generations. Then make your films about that. Make them full of joy and happiness and family. Or is your view of love and marriage more about... Um, you know, a quiet type of love, an intentional type of love. Maybe if that's the case, then your films are going to be just by nature of your view and mission statement about marriage. They're going to be a little more slow. Maybe you think, hey, I'm really, when I think about marriage, I see a lot of marriages that are just superficial, that, you know, they're almost perfect on the outside, but on the inside, they have a lot of problems and it's propagating this view of love and marriage that it's not messy. So I want my films to be beautiful, but at the same time, kind of messy a little bit. You know, I want there to be some kind of shaky shots. I want the tones to be a little bit more um, grungy in a beautiful way, but, but, but have some real life feel to it in, in a way to communicate my view of love is that it's messy, but it, it's beautiful. And so I think more filmmakers need to really ask themselves, what is my view of love? and on marriage, and then start to decide on your style based off that instead of trying to think about what, you know, what's the most fun thing to film and what am I most like, uh, how do I want to be popular by shooting what's trendy right now? Because just by nature of once you figure out what you really are passionate about in terms of weddings and marriage and your style is built around that, you're going to have the most fun and have the most success and be able to carve out your niche in the industry because it's based off you and not based off a trend or a style or anything like that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's <clears throat> one, that breakdown was amazing. And two, I, I really think that if you knew that foundational level, then your brand gets built off of that. Absolutely. And yeah. that, that really, that, that one, that's like the key ingredient to kind of spur everything else. And I think you just, you did an amazing, an amazing job of articulating how somebody can drill down into, you know, what they love about weddings in general, and then building that, 
that into their films, which then builds that into their brand. Exactly. Which, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, you know, are you still pulling inspiration from other wedding videos or are you, do you get stuff from movies, books, or I guess, have you, have you progressed to the point now to where this is just you? (laughs) Uh, I, I wish I could be so awesome and be like, I, I don't need anything else. I just have all of it right here. Actually, that sounds really conceited. I don't, I don't want to be that way. But uh, no, I mean, before every shoot, wedding or non-wedding, I, I do mainly wedding stuff, but before ed- every wedding shoot, I'll spend a good two to three hours on Instagram looking at tons of wedding filmmakers, um, looking at... I'd say not as much wedding filmmakers now that I think about it. I more so look at photographers because I feel like at this point I have a pretty good understanding of the story I want to tell, how I tell stories. But what I'm always looking for inspiration for is portraits and some of the more artistic and creative shots throughout the day. And I just find that photographers are like light years ahead, usually, um, from filmmakers in terms of good compositions, compositions that really like just tickle my creative bone and I'll go on Instagram usually, you know, the day before the wedding and I will bookmark all my favorite poses and certain framings that some of my favorite photographers use. And then I'll take screenshots of them and I'll put them on an album on my phone. So that way during the portrait session, I'll have them right here And if it's a particularly hard pose, then I'll just straight up walk up to the couple and be like, hey, I really want to do this. It would look really rad. Um, And and I'll show them a picture of it and they'll kind of get in that pose and then I'll kind of tailor it from there. But that's probably the main source of inspiration that I'll look for is photographers. And then as far as storytelling goes, I don't look for a whole lot of inspiration from the storytelling aspect from wedding filmmakers i'll usually look to movies or documentaries and it's not even an intentional looking i just love to watch movies love to watch documentaries and if a certain opening sequence kind of resonated with me or you know uh, a certain part of the film or how they use music or how they kind of laid it out in terms of editing i'll just kind of make a mental note and i'll be like oh my next film i kind of want to try to weave the story that way and I think kind of off of that is being okay to fail because I have so many, um, so many pose ideas that pose ideas, editing ideas, storytelling ideas that just fall flat on their face and they suck. (laughs) But, uh, I, I always give myself permission to just try it. And in editing, it's a little more forgiving, but when you're with a couple and you have this crazy pose and you put them in it and for whatever reason, it's not working either because the lighting is bad or because you don't have the right lens or you're just not really sure how the photographer pulled it off or the couple's like an awkward height and what looked great in the pose on the, on your mm. phone doesn't look good for them or you're looking at the pose. on This is what I've also found out. Face shape has so much to do with poses. Um, you could have a you know, couple that you're looking at and the groom has a really awesome jawline and it looks great when he's turning to the side. But when you're working with this groom, maybe it's not so much there (laughs) in that way. And you're like, oh, why doesn't this look the same? And it's embarrassing. And giving myself permission 
to put a couple in a bad pose and being okay with it has allowed my work to be that much more creative because I'm not scared of it sucking and being okay with just telling the couple, hey, um, you know what? This this one's kind of not working for me. Let's try something else. And uh, that, that's been really huge. But yeah, draw a lot of inspiration from photographers, I'd say mainly, wedding photographers. Yeah, no, I think that... Um you know, one, one really big, big takeaway that I just caught from that is finding poses that you like from other photographers and putting those poses into an album in your phone. Yeah. That is, that is just a, a just a genius idea. <laughs> it's so, super helpful. <laughs> and yeah, no, that, that is, that is an amazing idea and also not being scared to fail. Yeah. Like that's, you know, it's okay too. Like everybody does. So, um, when it comes to music selection, how important is that to you? That I would say is the most important aspect of the wedding filmmaking process to me. Um, it's the it's the process that I labor over more than anything. If I find music that works, the edit usually comes together. I typically, for every film, I'll spend between six to 20 hours choosing songs. (laughs) Um, And I've been doing this for a long time. So that's, that's a lot of time to spend on music. And there was a time where I was trying to be as productive as possible and try to cut that down because I'm like, I'm wasting so much money in terms of time looking for songs. Like this doesn't make any sense. And I tried making it shorter but I just realized the music has so much weight on the story that it's, it's time well spent. And my, my whole goal with music is I, I have a couple kind of criteria. One is it has to grab me, like me personally. Like I'm not just thinking about, hey, the couple would like this song, like I want to be emotionally moved by the music alone. And I want to be like humming the song and the beat or whatever it is, even after I was looking for music. And I typically, I don't just choose one song. I'll choose like three songs because I like my films to have texture. And I feel like every good story has, you know, highs, lows and climax. And it, it just has, it has you know, so much texture in it. So I like to weave usually two to three songs together in a four to five minute film because I might be looking on the music bed or something like that and be like, man, I love the intro for this song, but I don't like the 75% after that. So then I'll go with the intro and I'll find try to find a song with a similar key. And then uh, for the climax of the film, I'll use this new song, cut off the beginning of it because I already found the beginning of this other song. And I'm like, ah, this song gets really rocky towards the end and there's some drums that come in and it just gets over the top. I kind of want to bring it back down and I might um, repeat the intro just at the end or I might find another song that kind of, again, similar key, but just brings it back down. So music is everything for me. And what I always try to do with my music, the kind of the last thing, is I want to choose songs that I know other wedding filmmakers aren't using to the best of my ability. And this is not to be well-known. This is not to set myself 
apart from wedding filmmakers just to be kind of like, oh, look, I'm different and try to make a statement to wedding filmmakers. It's mainly for future brides because I know so many brides, when I'm on the phone with certain brides, they're like, I looked at 50 different wedding videographers. And if every single wedding videographer on their homepage is, you know, chapters in Tony Anderson, you're not going to really stand out to the couple. And also for me, it's kind of like a fun treasure hunt. Like I get a rush trying to find a song that it really works for the couple that no one else has used. That's, you know, I'm not always successful with that. If it's a song that I'm like, this is absolutely stinking perfect. And I know that I've seen it in a couple other wedding films. I'll probably still use it, but I might look for a little bit longer just to see if I can find something different. Yeah. I mean, you have that, um, that 80, 20 rule. Mm-hmm. So you, you do something to 80% and then pretty much the last 20, if you just keep doing it, you're just going to drag it out. But yeah, I think that you, you can't apply that to music. You can't <laughs> say that I have 80% worth of a good song for a, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's, I, um, uh, yeah, I can 100% respect not wanting to play the same music that everyone else is using, especially yeah. I laughed when you said chapters because I was like, oh, three of my films has chapters. <laughs> well, I, some so. of my films have chapters too. I, and I feel so bad because like chapters makes fantastic music. They follow oh, yeah, me. No, they're great. They, yeah. like, <laughs> I saw they followed me on Instagram. And I'm like, oh no, I really hope they don't hear me say <laughs> something. Your, your music is incredible. Just a, It's so good yeah. that so many people use it. And I just like to be a little, a little different. Yeah, no, I, I kid you not. I, uh, I put a video on Instagram and then like a day later in a Facebook group, somebody else put their video out and we had the same exact song. Right. It, it, like, I lasted for like 24 hours. It was like, oh, and it's not, trust me, it's not because they were copying me by any means. It's just a very popular song. And so, yeah. And I think that's also what really separates your brand from the rest of us though too is you want to create this immaculate product and to where you're willing to take that 20 hours of digging through music bed and trying to find songs by key to match other pieces of songs that you've taken apart that a lot of people aren't willing to do that step mm-hmm. and that that's that's what separates forestry from the rest of the pack i mean that's that's why you're a trailblazer so (laughs) i appreciate it i appreciate it so with everything that we were just kind of talking about do you summarize any of that with the couple when you're doing that that first call with them that initial inquiry call like like how so like uh like say the process for music or what makes, you know, like how you, uh, how you're telling their story through, through their film and that kind of stuff. Like, are you, the things that are separating you from everyone else? Are you, are you going over that on your, on that inquiry call? I will a little bit, like usually only if they ask, like if they say, Hey, how do you choose your music? And I'll say, Hey, kind of a condensed version of what I just said. This is how I choose my music. And I will get into the nitty gritty of like how many hours and why I spend that much. But I usually don't lead with that because my hope is that 
the amount of effort that I put into the films, whether it be music or storytelling or editing, that it would just be apparent to the couple that'd be like, something's different about these films that they wouldn't necessarily need to ask um, some of those things. So it's it's usually on a case by case basis if they ask. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, I know we like to talk about we only mention a couple of things in our call, and uh, that's kind of in our like introduction piece mm-hmm. when we're just talking a little bit about us, and we talk about like colors and what we think is good with you know like why why we like the colors that we have and that more natural look and that kind of stuff. So we we touch on it a little bit, but. Yeah, no, we we definitely don't, you know, lead with anything like that. So that makes perfect sense. I do mention colors, uh, like uh, I will talk about if I if like the couple on the phone is saying, "Hey, I loved your colors. They're really, you know, this is one of the things that drew me to your work." Then I will talk about, "Hey, you know, uh, this is how we choose a color palette. Like we really try to customize it to your day." and to the style of wedding that you have. And we don't just slap on, because <laughs> just like with music, I'm really specific about color. And I, you know, we have, we use our native presets for all our color, but it they're always slightly tweaked to the mm-hmm. certain wedding. So if it's a more, you know, if it's a wedding in Ireland that was really rainy and dreary, but it kind of had that cool cinematic flair to it, I will, you know, kind of shift the native presets just barely to kind of go for that more moody, dramatic, kind of mysterious vibe um, because it fits that couple's day better versus a, you know, couple in Big Sur that, you know, the whole day is like golden hour. I kind of want my tones to be a little bit more goldeny and maybe a little bit more, you know, earthy and kind of warm. And I'll just slightly tweak the native presets to that. So just like with music that I don't want to just throw a canned song that I know will work most of the time. I kind of do the same thing with color. Yeah. And I mean, if anybody that's listening hasn't picked up with what David is talking about, everything that he does is intentional. I think that's the best word for it. Everything is intentional. <laughs> Almost through too much. Every so. <laughs> step of his process. With... <laughs> Sometimes I'm too intentional. I'm like, what color socks am I going to wear to the wedding? It's going to make or break everything. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna notice <laughs> they're gonna notice they're not gonna refer me <laughs> so if <clears throat> one thing that we've been looking at is actually starting to outsource some of the editing and specifically you know we've been looking at Archaeus Creative mm-hmm. and I was wondering what or how how do you think you could keep your brand and your real style of film uh, if you were using like a third party vendor? Dude, that is, <laughs> that is a great question. And if I'm being honest, I'm still trying to figure that out <sighs> because <sighs> it is stinking hard. Like it's kind of like, so I'm not that into music. So if anyone's like a musician, I'm sorry for this analogy, but it's the first thing that popped into my head. <laughs> but uh, let's take, I don't know, someone who's pretty unique, doing some pretty unique things like uh, a Billie Eilish or a Harry Styles. They like, for the most part, to my knowledge, unless they have someone else write their songs, which I know some musicians do, they're pretty 
like anal about every part of the process and mm-hmm. we get very unique music. And I think bec- the music that we do get is because they're involved in every <laughs> stage of the process. Uh, and that's something I've struggled with a lot with editing. So like a couple years back, I was just drowning in edits, like absolutely drowning and I needed help. So I reached out to a couple, you know, friends who were editors, a couple editing companies, and they helped me a ton. And actually I started working with one editor who I felt like, oh my goodness, like I really feel there's a trust that you get my style Mm -hmm. and not just my style, but you get my vision, like I was saying at the beginning, for what I want marriage to be portrayed as in a wedding film. And I was so excited. But then what happened is I think to pull off my style or anyone's style that's doing that level of intentional work, it takes so many hours. Like it it just does. And this editor that I was working with was spending like what I spent on a film, like 60 hours or 70 hours and had like other edits to do. And they turned out incredible but it's because he's putting so much time into it. And he's like, I'm making nothing from this edit and this is not sustainable. And so he had to be like, I can't, I can't work for you anymore because it just takes too much. And I have yet, I'm not saying this is impossible, but I've yet to find an editor who can either do what I can do faster. Cause like that's a lot of time or who can, just kind of turn out the same quality of work. I did have, uh, so I'd say I'd have the best success with that editor. And that was a couple years back. And then I had really good success when I brought in an editor to the company. So this person was just editing for us because I think it becomes hard when you're working with an editor who edits for a bunch of different companies because they can't go all out in one particular style. They can't live and breathe and eat and sleep that style. So they're trying to cater to a bunch of different styles. And just by the nature of that, when they sit down to edit your piece, it's not going to be as, from my experience, as specific as if you sat down and edited it because you're breathing, eating, and sleeping that style. And so I had really good success when I brought in a employee and was like, hey, you're our editor. And I would sit with him over every edit and we'd talk about every edit and then I'd give him another one and he wouldn't go edit something else. And there was a definite progression and I really saw that being like, oh, this could really work. Um, Unfortunately, that person fell through due to to some personal circumstances and he's no longer... (laughs) here anymore, uh, which is a big bummer. So it's it's a problem I'm still trying to figure out. But what I would say is a good workaround is most people shoot 25 weddings a year. So that's a lot of weddings. And I could venture to say that of those 25, not 100% of those are your ideal client that you're like, this is going to mm-hmm. be a film that I'm going to show everywhere. I would take those weddings that are not your ideal clients and go to someone like Arceus and go to someone like Wedditor or things like that and start working with them on not your like amazing passion projects, but just on ones that you're like, okay, uh, 
I think someone else could take it. I don't have like a soul tie to this couple and this project. And then the ones that you're really passionate about, those five or 10, you do those yourself. You do those yourself. And that's a really good balance to have like 50% of your weddings that, you know, edited by someone else. And then the other ones that you're like, these have to be amazing edited by you. And hopefully within that process, you'll find an editor who really, really sticks and who does an amazing job. And then you can kind of have them cross the divide and give them a, uh, a try with one of your really, really awesome projects. And like all that to say is I am convinced that there are editors that can do my style and do our style. I just haven't found them yet and i mean i i have i found two but then they both left so it's just it's so much work it's so much work to find those good people and usually when they're that talented they'll leave or 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 do their own work so it's it's tough but not impossible yeah no that's definitely definitely a lot of good points to consider sorry it's kind of like um, a, a messy answer and but an honest one of like oh, i'm still <laughs> trying to figure that yeah, out yeah no that that was a perfect no that was a perfect critique you just went through all the pros and cons of it all in one shot so okay. no that was great okay. um let's take a quick break and then when we come back uh we're going to talk about creating films that move people mm-hmm. and then we're going to go into david's uh newest course the profitable filmmaker Sweet. so we will be right back awesome Do you still email a PDF for a contract? Are you struggling to remember who you sent files to or what those files were? You need a solid CRM, a customer relation management tool, a program that will send professional files and contracts all on your behalf. One that does not need to be printed, signed, and emailed back. Is this the Stone Age? You need HoneyBook. We've been using them for years now, and it increased our productivity by taking menial tasks and automating them. You can set up custom workflows to automatically send emails, payment reminders, thank you responses, etc. You can send brochures, questionnaires, and invoices too. We have three set up. One for when a couple inquires, one for after a call with a couple, and one for a booked wedding with nine steps. That saves us so much time on the back end. What would you do with more time? Spend more time with your family, spend more time working on creative projects, or just simply relaxing. Use our affiliate link below to save 50% on your first year. Go ahead. It's on us. Start saving time and money today. Hi, everybody. Welcome back from break. Uh, I'm here with David Renosa from Forestry, and we are going to go right into creating films that move people. So I guess I really struggle with stuff like this because uh, I'm not a creative person. I'll be the first one to admit that. I am just a blunt instrument like a hammer. There's there's nothing that's like slick about me whatsoever. That's just a byproduct of the military. <laughs> so we, uh, uh, I guess I want to talk to – I want to just talk about emotional films and how mm. – they like grab people and how like that, that winds up. It kind of feeds off what you were talking about in the first half with you want someone to watch your films and know that there is something different. Mm. So, Oh, go ahead. So, so uh, the question is like, how do you create films that move people? Yes. Basically. Well, 
I think at the heart of that is like it has to move you first. So that's kind of my rule is if I am not getting emotional from my edit, something is wrong. Uh, versus I know how a lot of filmmakers will edit by saying, oh, I can objectively look at this and say, this is emotional or the couple will love this. And we almost, as fellow filmmakers, we encourage that like, oh, well, the couple will like it. Like, it's okay if it's not amazing, but the, the couple will love it. And mm. in a sense, that's true. I mean, there are decisions that you have to make and films that you just have to get out because you're like, I'm on a deadline. And and the thing is, the couple will love just about anything <laughs> as long as it's in focus and you know good audio and there's basic music. It's them. It's their wedding day. So I don't think that's a good barometer for like a film that's moving or a film that's good. Uh, I love to just ask myself at every point of the edit process, does this first 30 seconds grip me? Like if this wasn't my film, would I want to watch the rest of this if this was someone else's film? If the answer is no, then I go back to the drawing board and I redo that 30 seconds or I try to find another hook. If I'm midway through the film and I'm saying, is this boring? Like if, is this boring to me? And if the answer is yes, then something's wrong. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll watch the end and say, would I want to share this with other people uh, personally? Um, how if I saw this ending, how would I feel about it if it was another filmmaker? And it feels a little weird because we're always told not to make, you know, films for other filmmakers. I guess there is talk of like, hey, make the film for yourself. But that's that's really what I, what I want to hit home is I make all of our wedding films for me first. And mm. I, of course, I run through the filter of like, okay. This is what I really want to do. How can I accomplish my vision while still hitting everything that the couple wants instead of taking everything that the couple wants and then making that 100% influence how I'm telling the story. I'll take, this is the story I have to tell because this is what I'm getting emotional about for the day. And I'll tell that story. Then I'll kind of like, okay, this part's really important to the couple, this part's really important to the couple, I'll kind of weave it in. And if there's things that are really important to the couple, like big story beats, like I need, I have to see my me and my dad's first look, <laughs> more often than not, if there's big story beats that are important to the couple like that, it's also going to be something that you're passionate about because uh, like a bride that's so excited to see her dad it's going to be an emotional moment. It's probably going to be something you're going to want to use anyways. So to kind of bring it all back, I love to edit for me and I love to story tell for me and I want to get emotional. And I know that if I do, other people will as well. So I guess just piggybacking off of that piece, how much, like how much research then are you doing into the couple? Are you kind of scoping out their Instagram page? Are you like trying to pull a lot of like key important things from them doing the story. That's that storytelling session. Uh, like what, what I guess, what are you looking for? Cause I know that you're trying to make the film emotional to you, but I know that you're, you're extracting data from them at some point. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, I guess it's a little bit of a give and take. So yeah. uh, before every wedding I shoot, I'll do a initial Skype call with the couple. Well, I'll, be, I'll do an initial phone call with them, just trying to figure out if they're a good fit for forestry. And then I'll make notes on all that call and I'll put it in HoneyBook, which is kind of like how we manage our whole business. It's a whole back-end system, how we do contracts, payments, everything like that. It's amazing. And then I do a Skype call with a couple like 30 days before and I ask them a bunch of questions like, hey, what are you most excited about for your day? How, how do you kind of want your film to look? So yeah, I would... I'm kind of like a director going into a brand new, making a documentary about something I don't know a whole lot about because it's a specific couple and I'm taking a ton of notes. And then I'll shoot the wedding and I'll kind of read over all that stuff and mm-hmm. then listen to music and and then let the inspiration come from that foundation. So I guess it's not completely like I'm just going to make the film that I want without any outside inspiration. It's more like once I have all the preliminary information, I've shot the day, I kind of know the basics about what the couple's really looking for. I kind of take all that, I log it, and then I start looking for me to get inspired with the story I want to tell with all that information by looking at music, by watching through the footage that I've already shot, and just by looking for like, like a hook in terms of a story of, to grab me and then I'll start playing around with that story in the editing timeline with my music. So it's, it's a little bit of a give and take. Yeah. And I guess <clears throat> what you just talked about is the perfect definition of shooting with the edit in mind. Like that's, mm. that's exactly what that is. You know, exactly what you're trying to get. You know, the shots that you want to get and you kind of have a feel for what that's going to look like later down the road. And that's, yeah, that, that's a, that's a, just an amazing process. And one, one thing that has always stood out to me that was actually part of craft 5k is the three shot standard. And I was wondering yeah, if you could yeah. kind of go into that just a little bit, because that really, that really gives you little sequences that you can just kind of build upon throughout, throughout that film. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, when I first started shooting, <laughs> I would always get my clips back in my editing timeline and be like, why didn't I get a close-up of this? Or why did I just stand here for 10 seconds and not make this into a whole sequence? This is really boring. And so uh, I kind of developed, and I know a, a lot of other filmmakers also have the same thing, is I, I needed some sort of like standard to follow of like, hey... I always get these certain shots for a certain sequence. So I kind of developed a three to four shot standard where every important moment, I'm going to get a wide shot of that moment, a medium shot of that moment, a close-up shot of that moment, and an extreme close-up shot of that moment. Now there's certain, like you can't, I don't want to be legalistic with it because there's certain moments they happen so fast. There's no way you can move through all those shots. For instance, like, uh, uh, I don't know if there's a random moment throughout the day where you didn't know that the sister was going to come in and give a gift and it was kind of like, oh, this just happened. You you may be only able to get like a medium shot of the whole thing and then she leaves because she has to go do something. That's fine. But as far as 
you know, I try as much as I can to follow that process, especially during like getting ready with the groom or getting ready with the bride or during portraits. I'd say that's when it's the most powerful is when you are, say, the couple standing there holding hands. And the first thing, because I think the intuition as a beginner is to make everything a medium shot because you're also excited about what's happening. So you wanna be as close to the action as physically possible. And so it just ends up happening that I'd say the biggest mistake I see beginners making is only getting medium shots and close-ups because they're excited about shooting weddings and they wanna be right there versus the most artistic shots and, and the shots that I feel like really separate beginners from intermediates or advanced people are more those wide shots and extreme wide, wide shots and really, really interesting close-ups. And so by having that system, you don't forget about the shots that you don't normally get, like the wide shots or extreme wide shots or extreme close-ups. And then you could just mentally say, okay, I'm getting a portrait of this couple. I'm going to move through this whole range of shots and that way, when I'm in my editing timeline, I have a whole sequence. I have a little Instagram teaser that I can post. And kind of a good rule of thumb is as you're getting starting, as you're starting out, is to hold each shot for three Mississippi seconds. Mm. And yes, I mean like counting in your mind those one Mississippi, two Mississippi. It's going to feel like a eternity, but do it because when... After a while, it becomes natural, but even when I get really excited about a certain shot, I have to get back into that mode because if I don't, I'll go through the four shots, four shot standard, but they'll each be like half a second long <laughs> because yeah. I'm so excited about what I'm filming and I'm like, this is trash. I can't use any of this. So I constantly, even now, have to remind myself, okay, get those four shots. If you're too excited, hold it for three Mississippi seconds helps me calm down, helps me focus, and it makes the day a lot less stressful. <laughs> and it also makes it to where you have everything you need in the edit. Yeah, no, and that's I, I think that that was, that was something that was really revolutionary for us because we were doing exactly what we... Brittany, Brittany and I, we have a very funny story to where we shot a uh, an entire wedding together, and when I got back and started looking at all the footage her and I had the identical shots, even though she was shooting on a 90 and I was on a 35, but she had paced herself. Like we were perfectly staggered to where we were yeah. shooting the exact frame. Uh, so learning that, like the, those three shots, the four shots uh, mm -hmm. that really changed the way a, that we were our approach, but also the way that we were editing because you had these mm. little, sequences that just made logical sense that you know what yes. i mean each each shot just kind of built upon each other and you know you're not going to get that with everything like if the mom comes in and there's a touching right. moment that just happens real quick you know obviously you can't capture that so i don't you know don't beat yourself up if you don't get the three shots but you'll have enough to where that like like what you were talking about earlier that first 30 seconds that's just there to really grip and pull people in those shots look fantastic during that so right right and like after a while uh, there'll be times where i'll be super inspired and i'll kind of just like 
like I'll use the three to four shot standard to get my creative muscle working, say in a mm -hmm. portrait session, because I'm like, I don't really know what to shoot. So I'm just going to move through these four shots. But then after a while, you kind of get into the groove of how you want to shoot. And then you just start shooting as if you're editing, where you're like, if I was editing this right now, what would I want to see? And what would I want to see next? And what would I want to see after that? And that's where it gets really fun because then you can just like move all around. Uh, but that's more like taking the training wheels off and that doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> it's good to have that standard. So let's, <clears throat> let's just briefly talk about colors. Cause I know in, in the first half we, we talked about colors a little bit, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how, like, especially with yours, the, the natural colors that you have and that kind of stuff, how, how would you try to articulate to people how important colors are to like their brand uh, how they influence people when they're watching the film? Like where, where do you think, I guess, how would you try to explain that? That's deep. I know. Uh, let's, it's a good question. Um, so I would say there's so many ways I can go with this. So your film Huh. I think colors convey, um, it's, it's, you have your music, you have your shots, you have your story, and then color is another emotional component to every film. And I think so many filmmakers don't put the necessary, necessary time into color, and it's a huge part of the emotional pie that you're missing out on. Colors are almost like, you know, what you decide to wear, it says a lot about you, and based on what you wear what you're wearing, you can trigger certain emotions in other people. And colors are the same way that I feel like when you get colors on point, you kind of make it so that the audience who's watching the film can almost feel like they can step into the TV screen or step mm. into the monitor. And it almost makes the technology and the screen disappear. And when you couple that with just the technical aspects of a high quality camera, high quality lenses mixed with color that matches the story and emotion of the day. In my opinion, color kind of blurs that line between am I actually there or not? And it kind of makes you forget about it because it, yeah, it's it gripping. just hits you at an emotional yeah. level. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think the colors are, I, I definitely, I know in the films that, that I see from other people and that kind of stuff, you know, even just basic color correction. So not, not trying to even get fancy right out of the gate, but yeah. just getting white's white, black's black, getting the blue out of a dress, just doing those, mm -hmm. like even those minor things right off the bat would elevate people's films, let alone when you start to get into like the way that you color grade. And, you know, and that, that really draws people in. So I, uh, I would like to talk to you about the profitable filmmaker, which is a proven system to build a hundred thousand dollar a year wedding business in any market location or economy. You so what, it. yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about, uh, <laughs> let's walk, walk us through the course. Well, I mean, you, you kind of said it is, is that that tagline is what the whole course is about. And 
So this has been something that I, so I followed the steps and practices outlined in this course to build forestry. And so this is, I mean, the course has been worked on for the last three or four years, really intentionally in terms of actually making the course. But I mean, what's in there is the result of 10 plus years of trial and error, how to build a business. And also I got so many people asking me like, Okay, we you have Craft 5K, which is how to shoot and edit weddings, but how do you actually build the business? How do you do the marketing? How do you do the design? How do you do the sales? How do you do the advertising? Profitability, doing your finances, how do you do all this stuff? And I I knew I wanted to make a course on how to do it, but I didn't want to just throw a bunch of things together and make it like an elevated, you know, free YouTube video. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make it a system because so many other courses are like, okay, here is how you do web design as a wedding filmmaker. And then you take another course on sales and then you take another course on SEO. And the problem with that is each one of these companies that are offering these courses, they're kind of pushing their own system within how they're teaching you how to do SEO or branding or whatever like whatever it is. Whereas this course, what I wanted to do is have them all influence each other. So where you're in the social media module and it's talking about, you know, how you write your captions or how you interact with couples over social media. And that actually directly is influenced and bleeds into how you run your sales calls or how you do the workflow and how, you know, your emails are structured. So every bit of the course is a system to where everything works together. So there's modules on, like I said, uh, profitability, branding, SEO, marketing, design, and it's it's a complete system. And what I've loved so much is seeing people who've taken the course, they're like, I was able to raise my prices $2,000 after just one week of going through the content. <laughs> it's like paid for itself. So I, I'm really pumped about it. It's, uh, it's actually out right now and it's only going to be out for a, a limited time really only uh like a week or so so you should definitely take a look at it i'm gonna actually be on chat so if you have any questions about it like i'll be right there and there's a whole you know page that details all the information about it so if you're at all interested definitely check it out yeah and i mean we'll we'll definitely link to everything below so everyone will have access to it you know as soon as this comes out you can just click on the link and fire everything up uh, i want to talk just a minute about firsthand experience with the course because i did i purchased the course me and Brittany did uh back i want to say it was november and mm -hmm. what i think that people they really sell themselves short on investing in themselves and i've talked about that a bunch on this yeah. podcast already uh but the things with David's courses, they are, they're very meticulous and they're very geared towards exactly what we're doing with wedding videography and like the layout of the course, each module feeds into the next. So you just take them all in sequential order. You start at the beginning with just a basic overview of, you know, what the course is going to be and that kind of stuff. And then you go into branding, then you go into SEO and what your website should be looking like. I think that personally, uh, two of the ones that really stood out to me was the branding exercise. David has just this phenomenal workbook that's inside of the course that you, 
each module has a different workbook for it. And you systematically go through and you drill down into your niche by the time you're done with those modules. So you have this like solid understanding of what your brand should look like based on what you think it should look like, not what, you know, somebody like me is saying. It's it's something that you've actually done. And then the other thing is the uh, the sales module. The way that, you know, David turned me on to Todoist. I use Todoist for everything now. <laughs> and uh, David also includes um, a kind of like a walkthrough guide in Todoist for a sales call. And, you know, you go through each module, which is a specific element of each part of the sales call, but then you also have this template that's in front of you that you can just kind of glance up to. And, you know, we've been using it since November. I think it's November. And I still, yesterday I was on a sales call and I had to do is pulled up with that template sitting in front of me. Like it's, yeah, there, there are things there, there's so much that's packed inside of this course that it will help your wedding business grow just exponentially faster. Like you're, you're skipping steps. You know, I think one thing to really highlight is David has been doing this for a while and it's important for us to learn from people like him because he's already made the mistakes. He knows what's, what's working and what's not working and he's willing to teach everybody. And we've really embraced that mindset that, you know, we want, we want to learn because we want to grow and, you know, I'll be honest, we want to make, you know, more money. Like it's not, mm-hmm. it's not like cream, you know, cash rules, everything around me, but we, <laughs> we want to make a decent living from doing wedding videography. And David really has put together a, uh, a very effective roadmap inside of the profitable filmmaker. Dude, I, I appreciate it. And I think you hit on something huge and that was my goal for the course is, I didn't want just a course that was informational because there's a lot of courses like that where you just sit there and you're like, okay, I'm really inspired and I kind of know what to do, but I'm not a very disciplined person and I'm not sure like there's just so many things I need to work on. I'm overwhelmed and paralyzed. And I really wanted to make the course as if as close as I could possibly make it to doing a one-on-one mentorship with me. So when you actually get the course, there's a whole guide in terms of that will hold you accountable of do this. Then once you've done that, do this. And here's a workbook on how to self audit yourself to see if you're on the right track with your SEO, with your sales process, Mm -hmm. with your branding, just like, uh, you know, he said, and that's what makes it so powerful because you have, I've, built in a way that I'm actually there holding your hand, keeping you accountable and making sure you move through all of these things. So you always know what's next to do and you always know if you're on track or not. And really the goal with all the education that, you know, I work on is I was struggling like for years to be a wedding filmmaker and almost, you know, closed up shop numerous times. And I know so many other wedding filmmakers, they just completely abandon their business because it's too hard to stay in business or be profitable. And uh, the rate of failed wedding businesses is pretty, pretty high. And I, I wanted to change that. And that's, you know, one of the, another reason for this course. Yeah. And I think you, you really put it in a very, very good way with it's like a one-on-one mentorship. It's mm-hmm. hours of one-on-one mentorship. 
(laughs) which, you know, which is, it it is, that is the perfect way, the perfect way to put it. Uh, You know, you could, and I'm I'm not trying to sound cheesy with any of this. I mean, each parts of the course could probably be sold on its own. I mean, even the Facebook ads, like there, there's an entire yeah. module on Facebook ads, which is, it's really crazy at how well and how deep that, um, you guys went into the Facebook ads because <laughs> we, I've, we, we, obviously we changed the way that we look at Facebook and we changed the way that we do our ads, but that also yeah. affected like our wedding videography business because now we have a better understanding of how, Facebook ads operate and, you know, how to actually drill down into audiences. And yeah, no, there's, there's a ton of content inside it and I cannot speak highly enough about it. That's just my, it's my personal Dude, opinion. So and, yeah, <laughs> I really can't. And I, I didn't, I, I didn't pay him to, <laughs> to say all that. No, no, we didn't. So we, <laughs> yeah. Part. And that's the other thing we paid yeah. for the course. So don't think that, you know, we got a, a free demo. I mean, I wish, but we, uh, uh, it was, it's worth every penny. And if you take what David is saying to heart and you really implement the things that he is talking about, you more than likely are going to see a return on investment. I know from personal experience, we already did, you know, it, it took six weeks and then we, we started to make our money back from the course. So I trust me, I get that results may vary, uh, but you have to embrace what he's talking about because David really knows, and I can't stress that enough. He knows what he's talking about. Thanks, man. That, that, that means a lot. And so, yeah, guys, check out. I, I, I'm sure we'll, we'll put the link either in the show notes or somewhere. So check it out. And we'd love to see you guys in there. That'd be awesome. Yeah, no, we will definitely have everything there for you, David. So it will make it very easy for people to get, get there and then really elevate their, their wedding business and that kind of stuff. So I guess just kind of awesome. kind of wrap things up a little bit. You know, the only way to really get to know David is to watch his courses. Um, I can't stress at how much David and forestry have influenced the way that we do our, our entire wedding business. I've just every, almost every aspect has been touched in some way, shape or form by David. And it's, it's an unbelievably humbling experience to, you know, not only be able to sit down and speak with you today, but just to, you know, just to kind of chat and then also to have you as our first guest, I think is it's, it was just, it was really unbelievable. And I am, I'm so grateful that you were able to come on, you know, our podcast today. And I can't thank you enough, David. Dude, I'm so honored. And like literally the best thing I could ever hear is just that the products that I put out to hear you say, Hey, it's influenced every part of my business. Like that's, the best part of doing education for me is just to have people reach out and be like, Oh my gosh, like you changed this about my business. And now I'm able to do this and spend more time with my family. Like, I mean, there's nothing better than that. So dude, uh, thank you so much for having me on. This was a blast and hopefully it'll be the first of many, uh, guest appearances on this podcast. And I just love the wedding filmmaking community and I can't wait to do more of this. Yeah. And I, you know, I can't wait to have you back on. Uh, so be sure to subscribe to forestry on YouTube. Make sure to check them out on Instagram at forestry films. And then, you know, you have to check out the profitable filmmaker. I'm telling you it was way, way beyond worth the investment for us. So 
Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast. Don't forget to join our private Facebook group, Wedding Videography for Beginners. And again, David, thank you so much for being here. And we hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. And we will see you here in a couple of weeks. All right. Bye. Are you looking at a really nice camera you can't afford? Are you wondering how companies afford six red Monstro 8K cameras and all the trimmings? You need to make more money so you can buy one. No, I'm kidding. You need to rent. Renting equipment is way easier than you think. You can ship it all back and forth from your house and it's way cheaper than buying. Best of all, you should include the rental cost in your pricing to pass on the expense because you're shooting with better gear. Wouldn't it be great to use something other than a Canon SL2 for your next project? Run a Sony a7S 3 or a Canon 1DX Mark III. You don't need to buy them. We rent additional cameras, lighting gear, and audio equipment all the time from Borrow Lenses. We've never had a late shipment or anything other than an awesome experience with our customer service. Use our affiliate link below to get renting today and you'll have professional equipment tomorrow.